0: Amen and amen. Well, welcome. If you're visiting with us, we're excited that you're here on Palm Sunday. This morning, as we turn our attention to the Scriptures, we begin our our march towards Calvary. We begin our journey towards the cross this morning. Traditionally, the churches celebrated what we call Palm Sunday, more than likely uh, was on Monday, but the church met on Sunday, and so we celebrate the time that Jesus took the journey from the little town of Jericho, which was down on the plain of the Jordan River. And so Jesus is about to make this journey, the, the last part of it, as he comes up the Jericho Road. That winding 30-mile-long path that came up the same road that the Samaritan found his demise on and was passed by by the Levite on his way, maybe making his, his journey to his home. Many of the priests during that time who served in the temple in Jerusalem made their home actually in Jericho. And so they would transit that road going back and forth. And so Jesus is now traveling with his disciples. And he makes the final few turns as he would come up uh, what is through modern East Jerusalem and Arab settlement and he would have rounded around through these two little tiny hamlets first of bethany and then to bethpage just on the back side of the mount of olives and so as jesus travels with his disciples and he crests basically over the hill uh, there's a couple of little small hills on the top of the mount of olives and jesus makes that a final ascent before he makes his descent down what we would call today the Palm Sunday Road that runs between uh, the giant Jewish cemetery that's there on the slopes of the Mount of Olives and what we would call the Garden of Gethsemane, this, this olive grove that exists on the, near the bottom of the Cadron Valley. But as Jesus crests over that hill, he's met with this incredible scene that we'll pick up uh, that includes Matthew chapter 21. But before we get there, couple of questions. Why Why did Jesus, why is it that Jesus went back to Jerusalem? You see, that question would have been in the minds of virtually everyone that day who knew anything about the Romans, knew anything about the priests that were serving in the temple, knew anything about what Jesus had been doing, that question would have been in their mind. Because they would have known that trouble was coming. You see, here's the long and the short of it. Jesus didn't have to go back to Jerusalem. He was God. He could have done anything he wanted to do on that day. And yet, before the foundation of the world was laid... He was the lamb that was slain. He was God's answer to man's problem. The sin that so easily besets us. And so as we turn our attention to the word, would you pray with me and let's ask God to speak through the power of his word to our hearts. Father, this day as we celebrate our king, Lord, a vast majority of us in this place today, have said yes to Jesus Christ. You are our king, and we declare you as such. We have already shouted Hosanna, and you have saved us. But Lord, we pray for those that maybe are in the room today, who do not know you. God, that your grace would be so powerful that they could not escape it. And so Lord, through your word, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you back 686 years to a time when the prophet Isaiah began to write his book to the 50th chapter there of Isaiah and just a couple of verses. Speaking of the coming one, speaking of the Messiah, the prophet Isaiah from chapter 50 all the way through the the middle portion of chapter 53 gives this incredible, detailed account of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Marvelously, wonderfully, multiple copies of this amazing book found within the contents of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we know, beyond any shadow of doubt, that the prophet Isaiah wrote the words contained in the book attributed to him, Before Jesus came to Jerusalem. Notice what it says, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 50, for I gave my back to those who struck me. Isaiah understood God had spoken through the power of the Holy Spirit to him that when Messiah would come, he would come voluntarily. He wouldn't be pressured, he wouldn't simply be arrested and hauled into Jerusalem. Jesus, in fact, gave his back to those who struck him. And my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. As Jesus was being accosted in Pilate's courtyard, as he was beaten, as he was flogged, as he was bruised, what we will look at on Good Friday, his treatment in the court of Pilate, Jesus came knowing that that was his fate. I did not hide my face from the shame and from the spitting. Think about it, family. God incarnate in human flesh came to Jerusalem knowing full well, zero question, that he would be beaten, he would be spit on, his beard would be plucked, and he would be mocked openly. Verse 7. For the Lord God will help me, two persons of the Godhead. God the Father would help Jesus the Son. And though God would turn his back at the crucifixion on his own Son for our sakes... God would help his son get through that time. And therefore, I will not be disgraced. You see, what looked like the most disgraceful thing that could ever happen to a human being, which it was in that sense exactly that, was the plan, the perfect plan, the marvelous plan, that God had laid before he ever laid the foundation of the world to save mankind. And therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus despising the shame, taking upon himself our punishment, was heading towards the cross, knowing exactly what was awaiting him. And so his face was set like flint. He had a razor's edge, a sharpened gaze on Jerusalem. Nothing, no power in the universe could have kept Jesus from going to Jerusalem. As he enters into town, he has less than a week to live. The marvel of all that God had commanded was being fulfilled piece after piece, time after time, moment after moment. The Old Testament prophets, every word that had been said about Messiah, faithfully fulfilled. Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 7. All of those pieces of the prophetic puzzle coming into full view for anyone who cared to gaze. Who was this man? That's the question. Can I share with you that's still the question today? You see, it doesn't matter what I believe about Jesus as far as your salvation is concerned, it matters what you believe about Jesus. You see, I believe he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, he's Savior. He is Almighty God. But what I believe doesn't save you. What you believe either saves you or condemns you. If you turn now to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 10, and this incredible picture. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem, he came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. So he's on the backside of the Mount of Olives. He's less than two miles from Jerusalem. And then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. And so Jesus is making a statement. Now remember that Jesus is also creator God. Colossians 1 makes that very clear. And so he has full understanding, absolute knowledge, of every rock that's in the road. Where every beast of burden might be, every bird in every tree every atom, every molecule that makes up all of creation, he had full understanding where it was. So the fact that he would know there would be a donkey and a colt tied is not a mystery if you leave Christ as creator. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, which you can be well assured they will, and they did, you see the Messiah's donkey nappers. We're going to be confronted. This particular passage, one of several that are found in all four Gospels, we give additional details that actually the owner does come out and go, Hey, what's up, man? Where are you going with my most valuable possessions? If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. You see, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Whether mankind chooses to recognize that or not is the question. But Jesus is Lord. He is the rightful deed holder to everything in the universe. On heaven and earth. And one day, as Paul would write to the church at Philippi, every knee will actually acknowledge that. And bow. To the name Jesus, who is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And he says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled by that which was spoken of the prophet. And in this case, the prophet Zechariah. So again, Zechariah, giving additional detail in Zechariah 9. And there in verse 9, tell the daughter of Zion. The daughter of Zion was a way to explain the people of Israel. Zion was the tallest hill in the city of Jerusalem. The people of Zion were those that dwelt around it, and the Temple Mount being the focal point of all of that. And so, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. So this is messianic. The king, Messiah, is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, The foal of a donkey. Now Jesus had two choices. There were two donkeys. And if you've ever ridden a horse or a donkey or a mule or any beast of burden, you know that unless they're broken, that can be a task. You're likely to see dirt rising up to meet your face quickly. And so Jesus, not only does he not sit on the... Adult donkey, but he sits on the foal, the unbroken one, yet giving further credence to the fact that he had command over his creation. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them. They didn't have saddle blankets, they didn't have any royal sashes, they, there was nothing for them to place on there but what they were wearing. They were wearing two garments, a cloak and a tunic. They obviously didn't strip down to where they were naked, so they take off their cloak, the outer garment, and they place it over the donkeys, plural, both of them, and set him on them. He's kind of straddling across the, the animals. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down Uh, The branches of trees, John's gospel tells us that they were in fact palm branches. And they spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed. So Jesus has this huge processional. This is the Messiah's welcoming parade. Here they are, the crowd before and the crowd after and Jesus in the middle. And they cried out. And again, this this is from the the Messianic Psalms, the Hallel, Hosanna to the Son of David. It was a name that the Jewish people would have clearly understood to be the pronouncement of the Messiah who has come. There is only one Son of David. If you travel today to Jerusalem to David's tomb, David is still revered to this day. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Who is this? Who's this? You see the subtle inferences there? Many questions, same words. Who is this? That's the question for you. It's the question for me. Was he a religious zealot? Was he a simple carpenter with a following? Was he some kind of mystic? Was he a moral teacher? Was he some unknown king? Could he actually be royalty on a donkey? Was he actually a Roman criminal? Was he some kind of itinerant preacher? Who was he? He was a king on a mission. Jesus would not be stopped, he could not be stopped. He set his gaze on Jerusalem, he says, I am going. If you read the account in the chapter directly before chapter 21, in chapter 20, Jesus actually tells the disciples, I must go and die. So he was clear. There was no lack of clarity on Jesus' part with his disciples. And yet they still did not know, did not understand. You see, he set his gaze a, a, a razor's edge. It's interesting that the prophet Isaiah would use the picture of flint. Flint and obsidian are, are cousins uh, in the geologic realm. There's a strange, unique company. It's a, actually calls Aztechnics. And they actually still produce surgical scalpels using obsidian and or flint. And the reason they do that is unlike steel... You can actually sharpen flint and obsidian down to the thickness of a single molecule at its edge. Jesus had a razor's focus on Jerusalem. He had one goal in mind, and he would not be deterred from that one goal, which was to go and give his life a ransom for us, for to as many as would believe. But to the world, he looked like a Palestinian peasant. The, the crowds were eager. Remember, they're gathered in Jerusalem for Passover. There, there may have been millions of people in the region. The prophet Josephus, and as he would write some ten years later, uh, speaking of a time uh, of Passover during that period of time, he said that there were more than 200,000 lambs slaughtered for Passover, If you assume that one lamb for ten people, that's two million people. Jerusalem was packed. Every KOA campground was filled up with RVs. Helps you understand it, doesn't it? Every bed and breakfast packed to the rafters with people. There wasn't a spare room anywhere. People down in the valley, there was water there. They were undoubtedly camped out. The Hinnom Valley, the Kidron Valley, as they meet on the southern and southeastern edge of Jerusalem. People everywhere. And so here comes Jesus. And they get swept up. Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In less than a week... We do not want this man to rule over us. You see, you can see him and still not know him. You can know about him and still not know him personally. And while they're shouting Hosanna, what they're really thinking is I haven't got a clue. Very few that day actually were proclaiming him as Messiah. They got swept up in it. I'm sure some did. But because of what the Gospels tell us, we know most did not. You see, Jesus was about to reach his final goal. And that goal is plainly Uh, Spoken of there in John 6. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What was the will of God the Father? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That was the will of God the Father. And Jesus the Son had come to do exactly that. He was a man on a mission. The multitudes are following along. They they were getting ready to celebrate Passover. They had no idea that the true Passover lamb was actually with them. the one whose bones would not be broken on the cross. You remember, they came to break his legs, but seeing that he was already dead, they didn't touch a single bone of Jesus, exactly as a Passover lamb must be treated. The Passover lamb has no bone broken. Part of the Seder is an unbroken bone. You see, he was finishing what he had set out to do. He stops at this little insignificant town. What a beautiful picture of, of a humble king. You see, most kings didn't come this way. Most kings came with pomp, circumstance, and royalty. A royal procession. If this had been a Roman Caesar, it would have been an immensely different situation. They would have literally taken all of the slaves in the region down the road and removed every stone from the road so that the Caesar's chariot didn't bounce too much. They would have filled in the holes. They would have cleared the path. Gold and silver would have traveled before and after. All the prisoners from that region, those who had fought against, would have followed in a long procession saying, Look, we are ruling over you, and here's proof. And so Jesus comes on a donkey... And he was really saying what he actually had already said. For the Son of Man came not to this world to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Drawing to a close, picturing the incredible precision of prophecy and as this prophetic word is spoken, so many pieces in it, but all of it had been said before. In that sense, this was not new news. This was the utter precision of God himself speaking into the existence of the universe the truth about his Son. And so here comes Jesus, exactly as the prophets had foretold. The prophet Daniel had given the date to the day that he would come into Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 9. That's 70 weeks prophecy. And so here Jesus comes in to Jerusalem. You can't help but read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 52, 53. And you realize the question to who is this People have been given an awful lot of detail. God was being extremely kind to the world. That which was set in motion at the Garden of Eden was now coming to, to a close quickly. He came exactly when he was supposed to come. He didn't come in wealth. He came in poverty. He didn't come in grandeur. He came in meekness. He didn't come to slay Israel's enemy. He came to be the prince of peace. And so the people asked the question, who is this? They begin to praise him. They threw their garments on the road. They're saying, look, if, if necessary, ride over us. Here's our clothes, trample them, we don't mind. And all the while they're still trying to work out in their hearts and their minds, who is this? We're not told who first began to shout Hosanna, but you can almost see. So have you ever noticed when when you go to a sporting event, there's always the one person who just seems to have to start the wave? And if it doesn't happen to me, they'll just keep doing it. And then finally, two more people stand up. And it usually takes a few minutes to get going. And finally, a few more people. And before you know it, the entire stadium, all the way around. I rather liken this to that. Somebody says, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe the guy next to him, Hosanna. The guy next to him, yeah, Hosanna. Hosanna. And finally, they're just shouting, Hosanna. Now, you have to remember, they didn't have TV. There was no drone footage of Jesus. Nobody was looking on their smartphone going, man, are you seeing this, honey? Honey? Here he goes, King of kings, Lord of lords. There were very few people could actually see what was going on, but they could hear what was going on. And so swept up in it, the praise begins to flow. As the group begins to get there, people are just throwing it down. Can I tell you this? Revelation reminds us, That Jesus is coming again, except this time he's actually coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Amen? He came as the lamb the first time. He's coming as king of kings next time. The question is, what will you do now? He's already been here. He's come. You see, they were praising him. But the crowd was immensely perplexed. They're they're asking themselves the the monumental question that every one of us today will ultimately have to answer. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. The question is, will you stand before the judgment seat of God clothed in his righteousness or attempting to make your own case that you're okay. That's why he came. Palm Sunday is about Christ coming to fulfill what he had always been going to do. He came so that we could live. He came so that we can bow now. You see, you can bow the knee to Jesus now. But here's the frightening thing. You can choose not to bow now, but you will bow later, but as judge. So you can either bow as Savior to Jesus, you can say, Lord, I surrender. or you can wait and you'll be forced to bow later the choice is yours the question is still who is this you see they went on many of them and they you can actually see it in verse 11 Of Matthew 21 and so the multitude said this is Jesus a prophet for the region of Galilee they had gone from son of David Hosanna God save us now to well we think he's a prophet Islam teaches that he's a prophet Most people in the world believe he's a good moral teacher. There's actually yet another documentary coming out next week about how Jesus is the embodiment of peace. Oh, he is that. He's the Prince of Peace. How he taught a, a paradigm of living that was never taught before. Blessed or the meek for they shall inherit the earth. That also is true. But you see, you can know all those things and still not know him. You still have to believe on the name that is above every name. And many that day missed it. Yes, they were caught up in the celebration Many, like we have today, are saying, I was born into a Christian home. I got christened. I got sprinkled. I got dunked. I went to catechism. I've been to VBS. I've been going to Calvary Chapel South Bay for 20 years. But do you know him, is the question. Do you know him? Is he your Savior? Or do you just know about him? Is Jesus nothing more than a prophet? That's the question. Who is this? For me, he was my King. Amen? He's still my King. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my reason for living. In Him, as the Apostle Paul said, I agree with Him. I live and breathe. I have my being in Christ. Without Him, I don't even have life. Not just eternal life. I wouldn't be alive if it weren't for Jesus. Now, see, I can't answer this question for you. I'm going to have the worship team come back out. And I want to pause for just a moment. And I want to ask you, who is this? Who is this to you? And I recognize for a vast majority of us today, the answer is going to be, Jesus, my Savior. And my Lord. But I also recognize that here today there are probably some who cannot say that. And so church I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you again. Who is this? And if you can't answer This is Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. Then I'm going to ask you right now, do you want to make him your Savior and your Lord? Right where you're at, right now, today. Church, would you bow your heads with me? Would you begin to pray for those who maybe are in the house? And I'm also going to ask those who maybe he's not been Lord Perhaps you do know him personally, but he's not been Lord. He hasn't been the master of your life. And if that's you and you're here today, whether you want to receive Christ for the first time or whether he needs to be your Lord and you haven't let him be Lord, would you just slip your hand up where you're at right now? I want to pray with you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see those hands. Praise God. Now's the time to do business with Jesus. The king is coming again. The question is, will you come with him from heaven or will you be facing him as judge? I see that hand as well. Just lift your hand up. I'm going to pray with you right where you're at. I see that hand as well. see those hands in the back. Thank you, Lord, for the harvest of souls. Thank you, Father God. Anyone else? those that have raised your hands. And whether you're asking for a recommitment or whether you want to know him for the first time, I want to pray with you. Would you pray with me? Please pray out loud. You have to mean this from your heart because he needs to be Savior and Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, your Son, who came to this world to die for me personally. And I, I accept and I believe that he is both my Savior and my Lord, my Master. And so, Father, I'm asking that you take my name and inscribe it in that Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. And I'm inviting you to change my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Lord, help me to walk in your ways all of the days of my life. And so, with that, God, I now know who Jesus is. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. And I promise to walk with you all of my days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.